Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This week we have a great conversation with Christian apologist Logan Gates from Ravi Zacharias Ministries on Jesus. We ask the questions, you know, what does the general public believe about Jesus? What can we know about the historical Jesus? You know, we talk about his resurrection and then finally, how we can approach sharing about Jesus to others this Christmas. But before we get there, however, I wanted to briefly share that as a nonprofit in Canada, In Doubt Ministries that is, Year-end is a really important time for us in regards to finances and donations. As you've heard me say before, we rely on God's provision through generous donors all over Canada who believe in our mission to bring the gospel to relevant issues of life and faith that we all face every day. Now, our year-end goal is $75,000. Now, this pays for everything InDoubt does and then we give it away for free for an entire year. Now, if you want to take part in this, you can text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 604-670-5179, or you can click the donate button at indoubt.ca if you live in Canada, or indoubt.com if you live in the States. Anyways, thanks so much. Because we know that the laws of science don't change, that bodies don't rise from the dead, because we know that, we can see if something like this happened, well, there's been some intervention from the outside. And so I think that's at the very least, I try to encourage people to at least be open to the possibility, scientifically, that Jesus could have risen from the dead. So this is the crazy week before Christmas. Or maybe it's not crazy for you, but whatever the case may be, Christmas is a time to celebrate the incarnate God, Jesus Christ. Now it's great to have apologist Logan Gates with us this week to talk about Jesus, getting us to think a little more deeper than what we maybe generally think or assume about Jesus. Now, if you're a Christian, then I know you're going to be encouraged and equipped after this conversation to better talk about Jesus with your skeptic or agnostic friends and family members. Now, if you're not a Christian, then I'd still encourage you to listen and then think critically about the things Logan has said. So, here's my conversation with Logan Gates. With me today is Logan Gates. Logan is an itinerant speaker with RZIM Canada, that's Ravi Zacharias Ministries in Canada. Uh, He's also earned a master's degree in theology at the University of Oxford with two years of study at the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics. Uh, It's great to have you on the show with us today, Logan. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks. Um, You know, can you share with us just a little bit about kind of who you are personally? I mean, you and I are very fresh friends (laughs) and uh, obviously with our listeners as well. So yeah, who are you and maybe how did you come to know Jesus and things like that? Sure. So I uh, grew up in the States, actually in the Washington, D.C. area, and I grew up in a Christian family, uh, going to church pretty much every Sunday. I think I'd say it was around high school for me that I began to just to question some of the faith that I'd grown up taking for granted. And I think when I tell my story of how I ended up, I think, really making my faith my own, I tend to speak about it in terms of a journey of the head and of the heart. <laughs> because at, I'd say at first it was a really a journey starting at the, the mind and the, and the questions that were related to whether we can trust the Bible and how does what I learn in science class fit with what I learned in Sunday school and that sort of thing. And I think I began to really find the Christian faith, I felt really had answers that these questions, it was okay to ask them. And then as I was asking them, I found the Christian faith offered better answers than I was finding from secularism and other religions and that sort of thing. So I really think on the one hand, this was a, in my own faith, a more intellectual journey towards seeing the Christian faith is really true. Did you, did you find that you were sort of alone in that? Because I'm guessing maybe you were in public school in science class and things like that. Were you, did you have That's right. friends with you kind of doing that journey together? 
You know how it happened? I did go to a public school. It was a weekend retreat that focused on apologetics. And I didn't really know much even about that word, uh, but it has to do with, with the defense of the Christian faith. It comes from this word, which actually we find in the New Testament, apologia, which means to give a reasoned defense. And I remember going to this retreat and just being just almost amazed that no one had told me this sort of thing before, (laughs) that there were such good reasons to, you know, we have these manuscripts of the New Testament that date within, you know, 50 years of the the completion of the New Testament. Things like some of the philosophical evidence, you know, relating to the fact that we seem to have had a beginning and, and something coming from nothing. And what is this first cause and how even Aristotle spoke about this sort of thing. And I just remember having my eyes open to a whole new way of thinking about faith to really see there are good reasons to believe this and um, that it wasn't just good news. It was news that was really true. Yeah, that's so good. So then how did you, like, how did you get now get involved with Rabbi Zacharias Ministries in, in Canada? So there must have been some sort of journey. Yes, and uh, it went via England. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I, I had this more intellectual exploration in high school. I think it was around university that I, I began to feel not just the conviction of truth happening in my mind, but also seeing that I was needing... I was needing a basis for my identity and worth that was something secure and solid and stable. And I was a runner much through through high school, leading into university, and I just sort of had problems that ended that part of my, I was really hoping to maybe even make a career. And I think it was at that point in university, I got really tasting not just the truth of the Christian faith, but really being touched freshly about um, what Jesus had done for me. This wasn't just something true, it was something I needed. Here was someone who had had given me a basis, something that wouldn't fall away with a knee injury or um, a career failure, uh, but something that really lasted. So that put for me a desire to just to, to help people see those two dimensions of the Christian faith, that it speaks to the mind and to the heart. And it was in that um, desire to, to pursue that I went to seminary and I went to England for seminary, uh, in part because I wanted a more global experience to get out of the North American bubble, but then also I found the University of Oxford because I wanted, my, I wanted to explore my faith in a place that it would be questioned. And it was there that I got connected to RZIM. I, I got to, to study under people like Ravi and Os Guinness and John Lennox, some of these great Christian minds of our times. And from there, got offered a position uh, working with RZIM in, in Toronto and Canada. Yeah, that is awesome. I bet some of the conversations you had with different students and people at Oxford were probably just fascinating, hey? Yes, it was. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah, yes. <laughs> that, that's so cool. Um, all right, Logan. So we're approaching uh, Christmas, obviously. It's coming up really soon, uh, which, you know, we as Christians, we know that obviously it's all about Jesus. We celebrate the fact that God came down as man, the incarnation. Now, a, a question though I have for you, which I think is kind of interesting. Wh- where do most people, and when I say people, I mean people of all religions, all beliefs, worldviews, so the atheist to the you know, the Muslim to whoever, the uh, agnostic. So where do most people, at least in North America, stand when it comes to, uh, you know, just the general beliefs about Jesus? Yeah, that's a really good question. And actually, we can helpfully put some some statistics even to to that question. Uh, The Barna Group is a, it's actually an American think tank that does research on religion in in America and in a bit in Canada as well. And, you know, they find about nine out of ten North Americans believe in the existence of Jesus as a person. You know, that's for most Canadians, Americans, that's not really a question up for debate, no matter what religion or, or background you come from. But it, it's when we move into the questions of, of really who was Jesus? Was he God? Did he live a perfect life? It's that at that point, about 
we find about half of, uh, of the number would say they believe Jesus was God, and then fewer than that might say even that he lived this perfect sinless life that the Bible claims he did. So it, very much the norm, I'd say, in Canada especially, is you know, we're a country of tolerance and inclusivity. We want to look at Jesus mostly as another religious figure, a good teacher among many. So like, kind of like Gandhi and Dalai Lama and things like that? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Now, what about young adults specifically? I mean, maybe maybe it's exactly the same, but you know, I, I I think of so many young adults like millennials that go into you know college university and like what are their teachers kind of telling them uh, about Jesus and what what are they sort of thinking about when it comes to Jesus? Yes, often for many Canadians who've grown up in the church, they're getting a very different picture. Uh, so in 2011, the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada did a study called Hemorrhaging Faith. They were looking at just uh, noticing so many uh, people who'd grown up in the church walking away from their faith in high school and university. And as they did these surveys, they found between 60 and 65% of Christians of all backgrounds in Canada were saying that they either strongly felt their beliefs were challenged in university or at the very least challenged to some extent. And so I think that that reflects uh, the pressure I think many, many Christians feel when they get to university and maybe they haven't thought through their faith before and why they really believe what they believe. And then they come across real opposition, even from their professors at times. Yeah, no, that's good. That's awesome. Now, you know, as a Christian apologist, Logan, you know, obviously gone to Oxford uh, for many years and obviously now uh, working with RZIM. As an apologist, you obviously have to deal with uh, history uh, and and facts. I mean, that's huge uh, because a lot of the, you know, you're giving a reason for the faith, and especially in our postmodern culture, we rely so much on, you know, maybe empirical evidence and all that kind of stuff. Um, but anyways, as, as a Christian apologist dealing with history, I'm wondering if you could just sort of, you know, kind of set the stage. So if someone's listening right now and maybe they they only, you know, are, are thinking of Jesus as another Gandhi or Dalai Lama, I'm wondering if you could just sort of Tell us the story of the historical Jesus. What are the main plot points of his life? What can we know to be true um, from the ancient manuscripts that we have? Sure. And even maybe for someone who's skeptical to start with the Bible, we could even take a step back and say, well, what are other ancient historians writing about this person of Jesus, people who weren't Christians? So if we took, say, even just three, like uh, Tacitus, who was a Roman uh, statesman, uh, Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, and... uh, Pliny the Younger, let's say, who was a Syrian philosopher. What's interesting about those three is, you know, none of them are Christians. They're from three different ethnic backgrounds, a Roman, a Jew, a Syrian. They're from three different vocational backgrounds, a a politician, a statesman, a a historian, and a philosopher. And yet what emerges from their writings on Jesus is actually a very consistent, what we might call a historical skeleton of Jesus's life. They would all, you know, they'd all affirm that he existed and they're mention of other figures also in the Bible, Pontius Pilate, James, the brother of Jesus, that sort of thing. They would speak about the execution of Jesus by the Roman authorities. We, it's really not something in Western academic institutions that's questioned. We really believe across the board, Jewish, Greek, uh, Syrian historians, all affirming this fact that Jesus was crucified. He really did die. Um, but then they'd also affirm the interesting fact of the sudden growth of the Christian movement. This uh, something soon after Jesus's death led to this outbreak of 
you know, not just the following of Jesus's teaching, but the proclamation of the Christian message with this idea of a resurrection. This sudden growth happens soon after his death. That's not really disputed. Something caused that. And I, as a Christian, of course, look at that and I say, this seems to be a resurrection-shaped hole in ancient history surrounding the, the legacy of Jesus. And then the last thing I just add is that Jesus was worshipped as God at a very early date. That's something that um, these ancient historians tell us, not a new invention, really. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, maybe you could shed light on this, too, the fact that, um, you know, for instance, I, I had a great friend growing up for many years, and he didn't come from a Christian home. And I remember talking to his dad one time. And, you know, we had graduated high school and I was now I was now in Bible college and I was talking to him and I told him, yeah, I'm, I'm enrolled in Bible college. And he looked at me and said, oh, OK, he's like, yeah, the Bible's OK. It's like it talks about good morals and all that kind of stuff. But I guess the question is, when it comes to Jesus, you know, he wasn't just this good teacher that said, you know, turn the other cheek and love one another. He said some very, you know, uh, profound kind of exclusive things. Um you know, so like when you when you read about when you read the Gospels, he's saying things like "I'm the only way to be saved" and and things like that. I wonder if you could shed light a little bit on that. Yes, I mean another one of these historical gaps. If we just look at the ancient historians, is why was Jesus executed? Why did he gain so many enemies? Like when we think here's just this great nice guy, he's got good moral teachings, mostly just adding on to to Judaism and and other ideas that were already out there. But then why why the opposition? And I think. It's really the, the historical eyewitness accounts in the New Testament that lay out the kind of things Jesus was claiming about himself that I think help provide historical elaboration to why he was killed in the first place, that he was claiming to be one with the Father, that he was claiming the authority to forgive sins, that he was claiming to have always existed before the beginning of time. And it's that sort of thing that, uh, that I think makes him a prickly figure to deal with. We can't just put him in the category of uh, a good moral teacher. We don't tend to take seriously people today who call themselves God. We put them in nice padded rooms where they can't hurt anybody. Uh, and yet here is someone who, who is claiming that sort of thing, and yet he's not the kind of person you'd lock away in an insane asylum. He's living this life of integrity. He's doing these amazing signs. And I think it's, it's his resurrection that really seals the deal. If that really happened, I think that would give legitimacy to the claims he was making. If that really happened, well, what about the rest of what he was saying about himself being God in the flesh? Well, it's interesting too, Logan, because I feel like there's lots of young adults that would affirm, uh, you know, what Jesus did and what Jesus said when it just comes to the the things that maybe they would, um, uh, you know, believe in. So when he says, love one another, all that kind of stuff, like, yeah, Jesus was that kind of person. But they, they don't even know that he's said some of these other things that I've existed from the beginning and I pretty much I am God. Right. They, they kind of just discount that in the miracles as well. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and I think I think the biggest thing for all of us to think about is what do we make of of Jesus's death? You know, the average Canadian today will say, you know, Jesus's death on a cross. I think it was a loving sacrifice for his friends. But this whole idea that it dealt with sin or that he died to take my punishment, I don't buy that. But I think that, you know, just to give you a little illustration, I think sure. something that helps us unpack that is, you know, imagine that, let's say you and I, you know, we got to know each other. We're in downtown Vancouver hanging out. And I just, at the end of the day, say, you know, I just really care about you a lot, uh, Isaac. I just want to show you how much I care about you right now. I'll show you my love. And I jumped into the ocean and I swam as far out as I could and I drowned. You know, <laughs> would you look at, you know, look at someone else and say, wow, he did like love me so much. He showed me that love right there. Of course not, you know, but let's say instead of me just jumping in, you, you fell in, I jumped in and saved you and I died in the process. You know, would that be loving? And that, that changes the story, of course. So I think the real question is, 
can, if, if Jesus is just some random person dying, in no sense should that be loving. That's crazy. How is that an act of love? But if, if we were in a situation that he rescued us from, I think it's only there that this loving Jesus and the loving act of Jesus's death can make sense to us. And as a Christian, you know, I see this fits with what Jesus was saying, that we needed a savior. And that's what the good news of Christmas is. That's what the angel says in that Christmas story we read in, you know, once a year in church, the angel comes bringing good news unto you is born a savior who is Christ the Lord. That's awesome, Logan. Now we've kind of touched on this already, but I kind of want to just dig a little bit further into it. You know, for many people, um, like you already said at the very beginning, including professional historians um, who maybe are Christian or not Christian, the fact that Jesus lived isn't the issue. Uh, the tensions, the doubts surround his the, the, the resurrection. Um, you talked about this resurrection whole. So I'm, I'm wondering if you could just kind of let us know a little bit about the resurrection, uh, maybe some truth and facts uh, to encourage believers, but also to the unbeliever listening, the skeptic that's listening. What kind of things can you say to maybe kind of poke their, maybe the presuppositions that they've held? Yes, I, and I do think presuppositions are a big question here. I think for many Canadians, there's just, there's just not a lot of openness to even the possibility that Jesus could rise from the dead because, you know, miracles, they break the laws of science. And I think that it's almost there that I'd want to spend a bit more time to just sort of gently push on that and say, are you really, is that really a fair definition of a miracle? And just as another illustration of that, uh, C.S. Lewis, you know, well-known children's author, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. He gave this illustration where he says, you know, imagine that you go home, let's say, after work today, and you put in your bedside table drawer $100. You open the drawer, you close the drawer, you have $100 in there. The next day, you do the same thing. You put in another $100. The following day, let's say, you come back, you open the drawer, and instead of the $200 that you expect, you only find $50. He said, are you going to conclude that the laws of arithmetic have been broken, that 100 plus 100 now equals 50? Or will you conclude that the laws of, well, Canada have been broken? (laughs) (laughs) That someone has broken in from the outside and there's been some intervention in the system. So I think, you know, it's, it's actually because you know the laws of arithmetic don't change, that you're able to see some kind of intervention has happened. And I think in the same way, it's because we know that the laws of science don't change, that bodies don't rise from the dead, because we know that, we can see if something like this happened, well, there's been some intervention from the outside. And so I think that's at the very least, I try to encourage people to at least be open to the possibility scientifically that Jesus could have risen from the dead. Um, and then I think there, I think a, a great conversation can be had about the evidence. I'd want to point people to some of these, these facts that are virtually all affirmed across the board by historians, Christian or otherwise, that Jesus, well, that he really died. We have that affirmed from a number of sources. That's affirmed in, in the eyewitness accounts in the Bible that he stabbed with a spear and what leaves his side is described as water and blood. Now, you know, we can look at that and say this is probably what's called pericambrial fluid. It would only have looked that way coming from the cavity of the heart if Jesus really died. We can really think, you know, this, we have his summit, in some sense medical evidence he really died. And then we could, we could pass on to, to the fact of the resurrection appearances, um, there, within the New Testament, there are six separate eyewitness accounts that speak of, of people having these personal encounters with Jesus. And some of these are as early as two to three years after Jesus died, um, that they're written down. So, and, and, and these are appearances that are very concrete. People are eating with Jesus. These are people who are sometimes in groups of one or two, sometimes in groups of 500. These are people who are sometimes not even Christians, like the Apostle Paul or Jesus' own brother, James, seemed to have had such a, a, a real experience with this risen Jesus that they, um, they changed their minds and became Christians. 
So I'd say that the death of Jesus, the resurrection appearances, and I do think the empty tomb is something we, ha- we have to grapple with. Why, why if, if the Romans had removed the body and later wanted to quelch this movement, why would they not just produce the body? Why, if the Jews also were trying to suppress these teachings, these blasphemous teachings of Jesus being God, why, if they had the body, would they not return it? If the disciples had the body when they were being killed off one by one, would they really keep pressing on with this lie if they saw it wasn't getting anywhere. I think the fact that the tomb was empty, it demands an answer. Why would that be the case unless something like a resurrection happened? So I think for me, it's, it's not maybe just one fact that everything rests on. It's just the number of little pieces of evidence that, that stack up, I think, to make a strong case. Well, you know, it's interesting, and thank you for sharing that. That's good to, to hear. And, I, you know, it's interesting to think that, you know, you take any of these other supposed um, uh, reasons for the empty tomb and all these different things, uh, like you said, with the Jews suppressing it or the Romans or whatever. You, you take those and then you try to make that work with the evidence that you have. And I, I feel like if you are going to be, you know, intellectually responsible uh, with the evidence that you have, it just won't work. So until you until you actually, uh, you know, try out and test the idea that, okay, let's let's just say that it was a miracle and Jesus really did rise from the dead, then you'll notice that all of these facts that we do have, it it will it will work. But I just feel like so many of us, a lot of young adults that are maybe skeptics, like what is it maybe, Logan, that is that's stopping them, hindering them from from kind of piecing those things together? And I would I would think that it's something to do with the our hearts rather than actually our minds. I think you're right. You know, I I think we should be able to get to the point theoretically that we say, I'm willing to follow the evidence wherever it leads. Uh, And I think we like to think of ourselves as really rational beings. (laughs) But I think, I think you're right to, to point out that this is a, a bit more of a complicated question when this is not just some random historical fact, but it's a fact which, which has consequences. If it's true, if Jesus really is God, that means that that there is a God that I am no longer in charge of my life, that I am subject to a God who, who, um, who has made me and therefore has certain rights over the way I live. Right, and we don't want that. Yeah. I, think that it, I think we should be honest. And I think a good question I try to ask my friends who are agnostic or atheist or just skeptical, I just try to ask them, you know, if, if you really found this were to be true, would you be willing to follow Jesus? If you really came to the conclusion that he was who he says he was, would you be willing um, to, to commit your life to him and to give everything that you have to him. And I think that's, that's a very honest question. I think I have friends who say, I don't really, maybe not. But I think that if we can get to the point of saying, yes, I think that helps us be more humble in the way we more openly engage the evidence. That's so good, Logan. Um, we have a few minutes left, and I, I really wanted to ask this question because uh, there are people listening that have brothers and sisters and friends and maybe uncles and aunts that aren't Christians and maybe they're a little bit antagonistic towards Christianity, but they're going to meet them for Christmas uh, and, you know, sit around a table and everything like that. So I'm I'm wondering if you could kind of share with us some approaches uh, to evangelism that we can take uh, this season, maybe even from your own experience, even like you just shared that question to ask uh, is part of that. So what have you found to be most, most helpful? Yes, and I, I do think the Christmas season is one of the best times of the whole year to have these kind of conversations about faith. You know, if if your family has a tradition of going to to church, even with a broader family, maybe who aren't Christians, you know, that's a great chance inviting them along. And then it's the easiest conversation starter after that to ask, you know, what do you make of that? Or, you know, where do, where do you stand with God and, and uh, this Christmas story? And do, do you think this is something really true? And I think it's a very natural place for a conversation. I think people are more open to it at this time of year. But I think I'd say another helpful question or something to think about is, 
Blaise Pascal, the 17th century mathematician, said when it comes to speaking about Christ, that he was always trying to make sure people could see they wanted it to be true, that it was something good and beautiful. And then he wanted to help show them that it was true. And I think I try to sometimes have conversations with people, maybe who are a bit more skeptical of the facts, and just sort of to, to have a, try to ask them, you know, if this really were true, don't you think that would be something beautiful, that there, were this, there was this God who came from not just to hang, up, hang out in heaven on, on the clouds away from the pain and suffering in our world, but who came down to be with us and to create a way by dying for us that we as broken, sinful people could come to be reconciled with our maker and be one with him and to live forever. Wouldn't you want to believe that at the very least? And I, and I think that engages the heart more. I mean, these questions, as, we said, as I try to say in my own story, have been more, they're not just questions of the mind, they're questions of the heart. And so I think however we can try to, to get people to invite them to see the beauty of what the Christian message is. And then at that point, if to help them see that there are good reasons to believe it's true. I think that can be helpful for some of those Christmas conversations. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's such a cool point uh, and important. Like, I, I'm thinking about it because so often, even for me, I, I, I feel like I need to be just telling my agnostic and skeptical friends about all the rational ways that they can actually understand intellectually that Jesus did rise from the dead. And I, I totally skip over this part of, first, just get their hearts wanting the beauty of who, the, what the gospel is. Um, and so what you just said is so good, like get them to want that and then say, and by the way, there are all these facts to, to base this on as well, uh, which is such a, just right. an awesome opportunity. That's so good. Um, is there anything else, Logan, you wanted to share before we, uh, before we have the end of this conversation? Well, I just, I just might say, even for those of us who are Christians, I do think that Christmas is a wonderful time to, to, maybe hit reset with God. I think there can be such a busyness to the Christmas season or even just the course of the year that uh, it can, we can just sometimes slide into Christmas um, not being quite sure where we stand with God or if, if we're as close to him as we have been in the past. And I think, you know, it's this beautiful basic Christmas story that is the reminder that it, you know, it is while we are still sinful. Before anything has changed on planet Earth, God intervenes. He steps into the world. He offers his son. And as Paul summarizes so beautifully, it's while we were still sinners that Christ has died for us. He has come and laid down his life for us wherever we are. And it's a, it's a calling that, it, it's a kind of love that demands a response. It's so, it's so extravagant, and yet it's something that can begin wherever we are. That's the beautiful thing, I think, about following Jesus. He's always asking people to follow him. And you can start following someone, even if you're you're, you can be five feet away from that person or five miles or 5,000 miles, but the decision to turn your life and to, to reorient it back to God, I think that's something beautiful that we can start wherever we are. That's so good, Logan. You know, thank you so much uh, for just taking time out of your day to do this. It means a lot. It was a great pleasure to chat with you. Um, to all the listeners, if uh, what we were talking about interested you, uh, make sure you check out rzim.ca. Uh, that is, again, Ravi Zacharias uh, Ministries. That's, you know, obviously Logan Gates, who we just talked to today, is uh, is one of the itinerant speakers for that. And there's articles, there's resources online there. And anyways, um, if any of some of those things that you uh, that you heard today, you had questions and maybe are, are comments about those things, maybe you are skeptic and you have further questions, uh, let us know. You can contact us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. We'd love to hear some of those questions and try to answer them the best that we can. But anyways, Logan, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thanks for having me. 
That was Christian apologist Logan Gates from RZIM in Canada. Also, if this conversation interested you and you kind of want to hear more about it, last year I talked with the apologist Sean McDowell on a similar topic about Jesus. So I'm going to add that link to our episode page. Anyways, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe you have questions or comments about today's conversation. You can message us on Facebook. You can tweet us. You can comment under a photo in Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Well, next week is our last episode of 2017. And I'm going to be doing an almost kind of highlight reel of some interesting and encouraging and convicting things that different guests from the entire year have said. It's going to be fun. I know you guys are going to enjoy it. I'll see you then. In Doubt Ministries exists to bring a biblical perspective into the relevant issues of life and faith that young adults face every day. For more information, check out indoubt.ca if you live in Canada and indoubt.com if you live in the U.S.